Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show, the place where ordinary people become extraordinary by finding the path to financial freedom through entrepreneurship, side hustles, and passive income. We have already blazed the path, showing you how to retire early and have financial independence, so you will never work for someone else again. Successfully Unemployed, your place for freedom. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Successfully Unemployed Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job, by investing and having side hustles and starting your own business and doing whatever you can to become successfully unemployed. And today we're going to be talking about a type of business that normally you would not think or could imagine that could be a traveling business, but my guest is actually doing that. She and her husband travel the world, at the same time have a business being an occupational therapist. Now, if you don't know what an occupational therapist, we'll get into what that actually means. It's kind of inter- it's actually very interesting exactly what they do. Thinking about how to make a therapy business traveling like and having employees and doing all that sort of stuff. Well, my guest has done that. So let's get in today's show where we're going to learn about being a traveling occupational therapist and being able to have a business, employ other people, and still be successfully unemployed. And as always, you can get my free real estate investing course because that's how I quit my job and became successfully unemployed through investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties, how to find a new area of the country to invest, how to make $250 in passive income, how to get money to buy those properties, and how to make an automatic business. Text the word rental to 33777, R-E-N-T-A-L to 3377, and I will personally send it over to you myself. Okay, let's start the show. Man, I am super excited to have my friend on today who is an occupational therapist as well as travels the world is having a great time employing people and having a fantastic business and she's also a great person her husband's a great person as well we have had so much fun hanging out together and so i'm very very excited to bring on somebody who is extraordinary meaning they found a way to not work a job that just overbroke job and they're successfully unemployed and so everybody i'm super excited for you to be on the successfully unemployed show with my friend sarah put sarah thank you so much for being here on the show hey dustin i am looking forward to this chat i'm super excited to be here and thank you so much for this opportunity Man, I I remember when we first met, we met at a podcast conference and I was wearing my shirt that said successfully unemployed and we just started talking and we just, we hit it off. And then I met with you and your husband at another conference and we just literally had so much fun talking, telling stories and saying, having such a great time together. And so I'm really glad to have you on the show, especially you are successfully unemployed. I love that. So how do you make money to provide for yourself and your family? without working that nine to five, just overbroke job. So I actually run my own private practice. Like you said in the intro, I'm an occupational therapist. And gosh, about five years ago, I started my own company and I specialize in early intervention. So that's birth to three years of age. And I have an employee that's with me. And basically we see our clients in the home and also do treatments and evaluations. And yeah, it's, I, gosh, it's one of those things I love. I absolutely love what I do. I love my career. I love my profession. And I love just being able to give back, but then also be able to travel the world when I want to and kind of have this flexibility in my life. Now, when you say travel the world, I remember when we were talking, 
back, it was last year, we were at a conference and you and I and your husband were having a great time talking, but then you were talking about taking five months off to travel. Let's, I want to quickly jump into that, but then we're going to go into the rest of the interview. But I want to hear how did that five months of traveling go? So, okay. So when we first met, it literally was, I think, three days before I was supposed to take off on this five-month adventure. And it went awesome. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. We basically, my husband and I, we drove, we spent about a month driving from the West Coast of the United States to the East Coast. Then we spent three months in Europe and then came back and then did the same thing. So we drove back from the East Coast back to the West Coast and we learned a lot. It wasn't always easy, (laughs) Uh, but it was actually a really interesting time to figure out how my company can continue to run without me physically being there on the ground. And so it was kind of this like little test run for me to see how it would go. And it was beautiful. Like it, it went without a hitch in that sense. That, that's great. And being able to figure that out and do almost like a stress test, test just to see. I mean, that's a, a long stress test. Usually people do like a week or two weeks. You went for five months. I just, I love that. And my wife and I, we love traveling with our kids. We love going and literally just doing things with the family and just having a great time traveling and sightseeing. So take this a little back before you started your own business, even before you had, um, you were working for somebody else doing an occupational therapist, what were you doing before? Like, did it take a lot of schooling? And then did you, was it hard to get a job? And then the transition to now, now being successfully unemployed, having your own business. So I feel like for me, I kind of always just did that traditional path. I graduated from high school. I went straight to college, graduated from college. I worked for about a year, and that's when I first got introduced to occupational therapy. Up until that point, I had never even heard of it before. And uh, in order to practice within the States, you have to have your master's degree at this point in time. They are looking to actually increase that. But right now, and when I graduated, uh, that's what you needed. And so I immediately jumped back into graduate school. I graduated from graduate school. I got a job. It wasn't, I actually ended up getting a job from one of my internships that I had already been affiliated with. So it wasn't like that process wasn't too difficult. And then the first maybe five years of me practicing, it was wake up in the morning, go to work, see all the kids, come home, rinse and repeat day in, day out. I, like I said in the beginning, I love what I do, but it was very just kind of going through the motions and life was good. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was just kind of going through the motions and just kind of doing what I thought that you typically had to do. And then I kind of had this unique opportunity present itself at about four to five years after I'd been practicing where I had somebody come to me and they were like, hey, we really want to bring an occupational therapist into our site. We don't have one yet. And I was like, well, that's an interesting opportunity, but I have this full-time job. How, like, how am I going to be able to do this? So fortunately, my boss at the time was amazing. And I went to her and I said, hey, I have this opportunity. Is there any way that I could restructure my hours so I could work a couple longer days and then leave half day, one day a week to go work for this other company? And my boss was fully on board. Life got a little crazy because I was like working even more hours now. But that is really kind of what opened up the door for me to start independent contracting with other companies. 
that's that's awesome. And that you had a an employer that would say, you know what? Yes, I can be flexible. That's somebody that, that that's somebody that's really secure in themselves. So I I definitely applaud your your um, employer to be able to do that. And so you went to work for uh, basically adjusting your hours, and then mm-hmm. you started to work with this other company. Now, how was that transition to where now what you're able to do is having your own company now? Talk to us about that. Yeah. So that one company from there, somebody, the office manager left to go to another company. I know this is like a lot of moving pieces here. And they're like, hey, we need an OT over here. And she's like, I know somebody. So she called me up. So the one contracting job then led to another contracting job. And I was able to kind of like slowly build up my hours with them. So then I was like, well, I can't really keep my full-time job and do this contracting thing. I like the flexibility. I like this autonomy that I'm getting. So I made the decision to leave my full-time job. And then I was working for these two independent contracting places, these companies. And it got to the point where I, and I remember this day, I came home and I was super frustrated with how things were going. I, there were things that the companies were doing and each of them were a little bit different that just like, they didn't align with me. They didn't align with what I wanted. And I just felt like they were taking money out of my paycheck, but they weren't really holding up their end of the bargain. And I came home and I'm, I'm talking to my husband and I'm just frustrated and I'm venting and all this kind of stuff. And he just looks at me and he goes, well, why don't you just start your own company? And I laughed. I have never thought that I would run my own practice. I never thought that I was even like had the entrepreneur mindset. And I laughed at him because I was like, yeah, that's ridiculous. Like there's no way that I can do that. And fortunately, he planted that seed and it stuck with me. And I like, I just, I couldn't let it go. And so even though I'm like, I, I don't consider at that point, I didn't consider myself an entrepreneur. I never thought that I'd run my own business. I don't have an MBA. I don't know anything about business and this like finance world of that, like all the other kind of skills that you have to learn. I didn't know that at that point, but I didn't let that like hold me back. And I was like, okay, you know what? At this moment, life is good. It's not great. It's not horrible, but I can always go back to what I was doing. Let me go try this. If I fail, I can always go back to getting the traditional job and be right back where I was at that not great, not bad, but just good realm. But it's worth that risk of like kind of putting yourself out there to see, can I actually accomplish something and do something like starting a company? Yeah, that is people like us who are who have the desire to do something, we make the decision to do it. We could always fall back. I know I could literally get any just about any job that I want. If I go apply, I know I'll get it because I'm I'm determined and I will actually get unless I uh, literally die, I will be able to get a job. And so taking that leap, that it takes a lot of uh guts or nerves or just saying, you know what, I'm going to have faith in myself and everything that I'm going to be doing. So what was it like now after you have said, you know, I'm going to start my own company and then actually starting that company to where you're saying I'm completely quitting this and I'm jumping whole hog into my own business. And it's great having your husband, Ray, be in that supportive and say, well, why don't you just do that? That's a, that's a, one of the greatest questions you could ask. And so Talks about the the fears, but at the same time, 
what happened when you jumped into that and you said, I'm done, I'm starting my own business. Talk about that, about that process of starting your own practice. Oh gosh, it was, it was a lot. It was stressful. It was challenging. It was starting a company was probably one of the hardest things that I've ever done in my entire life. I wouldn't change it for the world because I love everything that's happened since then. But thinking back and reflecting back to the first year, the first two years of me being in practice and just trying to get just trying to get it off the ground and, and get out there was so hard. And I think there were a lot of external pressures and then a lot of internal pressures that happened where internally imposter syndrome, of course, we all, we all have it. We all deal with it. And it was a lot of, well, why me? Like, why do I think that I can do this? Again, I don't, I don't have a business background. I've never done this before. I don't know what I'm doing. It was, why am I different? What is it that I can bring to the table that all these other occupational therapy providers are already doing? Like, what, what am I doing that can be different? So there was a lot of this internal stuff. Also, in conjunction with me being a little bit of a perfectionist. Okay, I should take that back. I'm, I'm a huge perfectionist. And I think that that really held me back from pressing go a lot sooner on things that I should have done. Specifically with like starting this company, I dragged my feet because I thought I had to know everything before I started. So internally, I had to overcome a lot. And then externally, I definitely had a lot of people that would say, oh, you, you're not going to make it. Or if you don't take insurance, like the, I plan to not take insurance. I plan to go a different funding route. I had a lot of people that are like, that's the stupidest thing. You're not going to make it if you don't do it this way. Uh, if you don't start a clinic, like they basically were just like, nope, 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 you can't do it. And so when you have both of those things happening, while you have this passion and you're trying to do it, it was very, very challenging and stressful. <laughs> I could I could totally see that. Now, my personality, if somebody tells me it can't be done or you can't do it, I'm like, just watch me or you know, hold my beer. <laughs> I'll get it done. I'll do that. That's the type of personality I am. But not everybody's like that. And at the same time, with so many people always telling other people, telling you their own limitations. That's their own limitations. They're not, they're, they don't know your limitations. They're just trying to put their limitations on you. And I, I personally try to weed all that out, all that stuff out. And so anybody else that I talk to, that's actually, I just had a coaching call with a, one of my students who I teach how to uh, invest in rental properties. His question was, when do I tell my friends and family that I'm actually investing? Because I know they're all literally, I've talked about wanting to do that and they were completely against it. They hated it. And they said, I'm going to lose money and blah, blah, blah. But now he already has two properties now. He's making money every single month from these properties. And he asked me, should I tell my family? And I said, well, honestly, that's a personal decision for you. You got to make it for yourself. But at the same time, as soon as you do, you got to own it. Like this is this is who you are. Getting that um, imposter syndrome, realizing that it's really your own self-doubts. It's your limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so it's making you uh, hold back. As soon as you get that out, you're going to be realizing that and just like you did, Sarah, you realize, man, I have so much to offer. Like what I can do, I can help so many people. Now, I want to quickly talk about because not everybody knows what occupational therapy is. In fact, we met at a podcast conference and I said, <laughs> OK, so what's your podcast? You said OT. I'm like, I don't know what that means. And you said it's occupational therapy. I'm like, 
what what in the what in the world <laughs> you have a podcast about occupational therapy so talk to us briefly about what occupational therapy is and how then does that transition that you can actually do that as a business and make money traveling Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like anytime that I don't go to an OT conference, like when I'm at podcasting conferences and whatnot, it's less about what my show is about. It's actually like, what is the topic that my show is like define occupational therapy. And so first I'll start by kind of further elaborating on the word occupation, because I think a lot of people in society, they tend to think that an occupation is your job or a, a type of employment. But it actually, when I'm talking about occupation, it is what you do, daily things that you do within your life, daily activities that you engage in that are meaningful and purposeful or things that you need and want to do within your life. So it's basically kind of how you occupy your time. And so occupational therapists are experts on occupation and studying the how and why people engage in these daily activities that you do, Dustin, that I do, that anybody that happens to be listening to this, we all have different things that we need to do, things that we want to do within our lives. Now, what ends up happening is that something could happen. Maybe it's an injury, an accident, maybe just age, anything like that, where it can get in the way of us being able to engage in these meaningful and purposeful activities. That's where occupational therapists come in. We utilize these meaningful activities to help get you back to health or help get you to a point if uh, if you haven't learned that skill yet. And so it's utilizing these really important and meaningful activities and occupations to get you back into what it is that brings that meaning to your life. So how does that translate into having a business that you don't actually have to be there with somebody like in the same room? Because when I thought when you first said occupational therapist, I thought you like, okay, you're teaching. It's, I, it still shows how ignorant I am. Like you literally need to be in the room and like, like somebody who teaches somebody else how to walk again, like, okay, stand up, let's walk. That's obviously totally different, but like how it seems like you need to be there. How, but how does that translate now where you can have a business that runs without you actually being there? Yeah. So it, it's interesting because of the current climate, and we are actually recording this when COVID-19 is kind of in full effect right now. So a lot of things are changing. So typically, I'll kind of talk about it generally, and then I want to apply to actually what's happening now, because even within the last week, there's been a lot of changes. But typically, my like actual work with clients is face-to-face -face in person. So when I'm working with a client, I am there with them and their family at their house. It's very location specific. Like I mentioned, I have an employee. It's the same thing. Like we're both there. Now, being that I kind of set up my company, that has allowed me the freedom to be able to go and travel and manage kind of the administration part of my company from wherever I am. So in that sense, I can kind of be location independent. But the actual physical work generally up until a couple of weeks ago has been very specific to having to be there. Now there's actually some changes that are happening because of this outbreak that teletherapy, which has already been a thing, it's never been a thing in my practice area, and that's early intervention. They actually, 
this week is the first week that they have approved that to happen. So now, basically what you and I are doing right now, this is how we can continue to do our work without actually having to be with the clients. We can work with them over the computer, over the phone, scheduling time that we're either with them directly and educating and showing them what's going on or just record it for them and then have them watch it later and then give feedback and continue that education that education piece. So it's interesting that even within the last week, there's been a lot of changes to how how we operate and and how I'm able to kind of continue the business regardless of location. That's a great silver lining to the everything going on right now with the the COVID-19 and everything that is changing. Obviously there's some bad things that are changing. Um, we're not, we're not going to get into the bad things because I'm more libertarian and it's like, oh, stop controlling us, but we'll go on from there. Good things are coming out where we can actually, we know that we are an expert in whatever field with us. Like we are like you're with occupational therapy with a certain age group and certain families and all this sort of stuff. I'm, I teach rental, like literally just rental properties. I don't want to do flipping. I don't want to do wholesaling tax liens, any of that stuff. I don't want to do that, but I literally don't need to be there in person. We can meet just like you and I. So if everybody watching this on YouTube, you're seeing Sarah and I have a conversation looking at each other through the computer and it's, we're, we're the expert. We have the knowledge. We have the experience. We have everything for you. Just because we're not literally sitting in the same room doesn't mean that we're actually, we, we can't do what we can do um, and teach and help as we should. And so that is a great, great silver, silver lining. Now, talk to us about if we wanted to start our own practice or we we had we had a skill that we now want to transition to where we can actually start teaching people online especially you were in a in a position where um you had to be there I had to but it was like really like it was a, a big deal for you to actually be in the same room talk to us about if we wanted to start our own business like this is there anything that like what how do we start even thinking about because your husband said start a business you're like okay I got to figure this out what are things that we need to figure out to get this started I think specifically from my lens, and hopefully this will be able to be kind of adapted across other areas, but for me, it really came down to the legal logistics that I had to figure out. And yeah, like when my husband's like, oh, just start it. Like there's not like just a little like easy button, like go, like start. Oh, okay. You have a business now. And I I talked to a lot of OT entrepreneurs and it's interesting because there is a kind of a differing opinion. Some people are, are are of the mindset of just figure it out. You'll learn it. Like you can you can do as much as possible by yourself. I was a little bit more conservative on the way that I went, and I was like, I'm going to get a lawyer, and I'm going to explain to them this is what I want to do. It's healthcare. I'm going into people's homes. I'm working with children, and I can work with kids that have very complex healthcare needs. So with all of that, I was sitting there and I was like, all right, I want to make sure that my company is bulletproof. So I went to a lawyer, told her my idea, and she's like, yep, this is what you need to do. This is the type of corporation that you have to form. There are lots of things, depending on what state you're in, that will shape how your business is formed. I happen to be in California. And so we have certain restrictions that allow or don't allow certain business entities to uh, to be able to operate. So for instance, uh, if you're in California, 
you and you are certified by a board in order to practice. It's my understanding, and I'm not a lawyer, but it's my understanding that you cannot operate as an LLC. You have to have an S corp or a C corp. So that kind of dictated which way that I could go into and like really trying to figure out like that legal entity to make sure that I was as bulletproof as possible because I am working in healthcare and I am working with people and their kids. And I really didn't want there to be any loopholes at that. So first and foremost, it was getting that legal entity set up and then also getting a, uh, like an accountant and getting that financial aspect figured out as well. And like I said earlier, I didn't know any of this stuff going in. And so it was a lot of talking to people it was a lot of just trying to figure out what it is. And I talked to a lot of people that they didn't even know what it was that I wanted. And at that point, I don't even think I knew what I wanted. I'm trying to convey to them, this is what I want to do. And they're like, wait, but they're telling me one thing. And I'm like, but I don't think that's right. So it was a lot of this like back and forth and just trying to figure it out. But the the two main things that I always tell people are the the business, the legal side, and then that financial piece that you really have to make sure that you have a firm grounding and a firm foundation on so then you can build upon that yeah i think that's great and i i would uh i lean towards asking experts like a lawyer even if you need to pay them for an hour of their time lawyers are going to cost a lot they are but if you're going in an an endeavor like this it's not as easy as let's say you know you're going to sell lemonade on your corner that's Super easy. You don't have to do anything. But if you're going to do something like this with healthcare and all that sort of stuff, talking to a lawyer is somebody that's, you need to talk to somebody that's an expert. You and I are experts in what we know. We want to rely on other people who are experts in what they know, rely on their expertise, and then pay them for their work, just like an accountant. I love paying my accountant because they do things that would take me a year and it would take them an hour. So I, I'm, I'm not a numbers person. I absolutely not a numbers person. <laughs> Me so neither. I love, yeah, I love paying my accountant, uh, my lawyer. I pay my lawyer. I make sure that they are taken care of because they make sure I'm taken care of. So I love that. Now, really quickly, and I have a bunch of more questions. Would you suggest, because I, I think it's great to talk to a lawyer and talk to an accountant um, to get started. Would you suggest that somebody actually do that too? Is that a, a good route that you went through? I uh, Yes, 100%. I have had conversations about this on my podcast with other entrepreneurs that didn't go that route to begin with. And for me, it gave me the peace of mind. It allowed me to kind of sink my teeth in and invest my energy into other things, knowing that the legal side, the financial side that I don't know, and I didn't know much about at that time, it it allowed me that comfort to say, somebody else is looking into that. I know they've been, they were calling my board association, my, my state association. They were making sure that they were setting up my company in regards to all the rules and regulations for my state. So hundred percent, yes, it's more money off the front or off the top, but it, for me, hundred percent, it was worth it. Absolutely. Now. And if you think about it, even just a lawyer, if you get sued for something, all that little bit of money that you spent at the beginning, and if, or if you saved, let's say, 
300 dollars because you didn't want to pay them but it's costing mm-hmm. you thousands of dollars in legal fees and all that so it's just let's get it all set up right the first time okay so now after we talk to um, a lawyer we talk to an accountant we have a good um, idea of the direction we want to go now we actually want to start doing the business i mean we're going to look at how to find clients like do we siphon them off from our old business that we're working from um how do we how do we make sure that we have payroll like if we hire somebody so let's start with the easiest or the first one that would come to my mind is how do we start making money from this business so i started i started small and what like kind of what I had said in the beginning of the episode is that I was working as an independent contractor for a few different companies at that point. So rather than cutting ties with those companies and just going off and doing my own thing, I was building my business on the back end and in the time that I wasn't working and I wasn't seeing clients for them, but I was still having an income. I was still seeing clients. I was still working. I was still networking. I I kind of had these two worlds that were running parallel to each other at that point. I wasn't seeing clients. I wasn't making money for my company yet. Then as soon as like all the paperwork and basically my company became formalized, I went to the companies that I was working for and I said, Hey, I want you, rather than pay me personally as an independent contractor, I want you to pay my company. Redid the contracts, had them sign things. I signed a couple things. Nothing changed except where the money went. The money, rather than going to me personally, went to my company. And life just went on. It, It carried on exactly how it had been. Then I started building up my clientele through my company. And over time, I was able to start decreasing the clients that I was seeing with the independent co- companies that I was working for. And slowly, I, I left one of them. And then I was still with one, still had my company. But it kind of was this when like the independent company clientele, I, I decreased them. I'd increase it with my company. And then as soon as I got to the point where I felt like I had enough of my own clientele for my company... I left both of my independent contracting jobs and I was solely in there with my company. So it didn't happen overnight. I tried to keep it as stress-free as possible and make it where I was still making income and it wasn't just like opening the doors and hoping and praying that people would come to me. Man, that is, I literally would never thought of doing that. Go into your private contracting um, that you're working with somebody else and tell them, pay my company instead of me and get that ball roll. That is a huge pro tip. That's fantastic. And then everybody else that you would bring on, like if you find a client that's, you know, from whatever source you find a client there, you already have that system set up. That is brilliant, Sarah. That's awesome. That's, that's why I have you on the show. You're amazing. So from there, how do we now get more clients? You know, you started and you were working with somebody else or working with contracting with two other companies from there. You said, pay me through my company. Is it just like through word of mouth because this is what you do? And then people say, hey, let me start working with Sarah now. Let me go right to Sarah. And uh, is it through word of mouth? Do you need to do advertising? How do you start getting those clients to start working with you? Word of mouth is huge. But for me specifically, it was understanding the different funding sources that I wanted to go through or not go through. I made the point about not taking insurance. So That is one thing that based on stories that I've heard from other practitioners, I was like, 
I don't want to do it. I want to focus on early intervention. I want to focus on birth to three, working in the home. I was very niche about the area that I wanted to be in. And then that funding source comes from the organizations that feed into that. And so for me, I had to now establish myself within these organizations. And you walk in, you're basically a name on a piece of paper saying, Sarah is an occupational therapist and she wants to start seeing clients. And now all the caseworkers are like, who is this person? We don't know who this is. Like, I'm just like, I'm just a name. And I had to establish myself within that organization and be like, I'm here. I do really good work. Like you kind of had to build from the bottom there. You bring them donuts every other day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, so my, my knowledge, my like little tip that I would say is when you're first starting out, you can't be picky in terms of clientele, in terms of location. Well, I should take that back. You can be picky, but just know that that might limit where you are. So for me, the greatest need that I've seen tends to be in these areas that therapists don't want to go into. They're a little rougher neighborhoods, like they're just, they maybe they're further from where when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply most people are living. And so for me, I was like, send them my way. I was driving hours and hours and hours every day. I was going, I would basically span like 30 miles one direction, 30 miles the other direction and like this whole quadrant. And I was just like, bring it. I'll go. I'll go where nobody else is going. I will work with the the clients and the kiddos that nobody else wants to work with. And that really kind of showed to the caseworkers, they were like, cool, like whatever they need, Sarah will be there. And I still have people say that to me to this day, even though I have started to kind of niche down in my areas a little bit, not much, but that was like, that was huge. And I hear new practitioners that are, that are trying to do what I'm doing. And they're like, oh, but I'm just not getting clientele. And I'm like, yeah, because you're tr- staying in this one area and there's 50 other therapists that are doing that. You have to put yourself out there. You have to be doing things that not everybody wants to do. And that was the way that I was able to start growing and gain more clients and get my name out there because then that word of mouth started to spread. It seems like occupational therapy, you're going to need to keep getting more or new clients because your goal is to get them to where they don't need you. Is that correct? And so you're like, oh, yeah. it's a, you're, you're eventually getting to get out of the, uh, working with that client, which is the goal, which is a great thing. And then continually replenishing that. Is that a hard thing to do where we start to now get more clients, get more people um, outside of different means? Or like, how would we then keep that flow of people. And I would say it's not like uh, leads, but like just, just clientele. How do we keep that flow of clientele coming in? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm actually, that's a really good point because when I first start seeing a client, I literally tell their family, I want to work myself out of a job. 
I know you guys like me coming. I know we're friends, like whatever it is, but I'm like, I want to work myself out of a job. And the other thing is, is being that I work with kids up until they're three years of age, even if they need more services, they're gone. Like I do not get to continue with them. So it is a shortened duration that I can be working with clients. So yes, constantly having new referrals is definitely a big aspect of my business. It's not that I can just keep people on forever, nor do I agree that that's the best thing to do anyway. And so I think that's really where that that establishing yourself and having people constantly know like, hey, Sarah does good work. I'm going to I'm going to reach out to her to take this next client. So whenever they get a referral, they're they're already thinking who's going to be the best fit. I know like Sarah always says, yes, she she always goes, she always has time, regardless if I am crazy working, which when I first started working with my company, I was working, I was seeing 10 clients a day. So that's outside of drive time. That's outside of documentation time. That's outside of any other self-care, any other occupation that I typically would be doing. And so it was a lot. But that's what I needed to do to really get my business going to then now be able to have that flexibility on the back end and not have to be investing all that time. And um, it's that hard work that you're putting in the front end. You're working really, really hard to eventually you can travel for five months. I mean, that's it's amazing. A lot of people don't like delayed gratification. I absolutely love delayed gratification because I sacrifice now so that I can do really well in the future. Give you an example. When I started buying rental properties in 2006, I started buying property after property. I literally sacrificed as much as I could from spending any money because any penny that didn't go to a rental property was a waste in my opinion. So mm-hmm. the one big we took a year was driving from California to Arizona to see my in-laws. That was our one vacation. Everything else went to rental properties. And I forego so many things, fun or even eating out because I knew the delayed gratification. Every future property that I bought, the next property I bought got me closer to where I could be successfully unemployed. And it took me about six years. And then I had enough money to quit my job, but I was still nervous about quitting. So, you know, it, it was, it's leaving that W2 job is, is it's, it's hard. Even if you have the money, it's harder to do than, or to say, it's easier to say than to do. And so it took me about another two or three years before I really, you know what, I, what am I doing here? This is, I'm done. <laughs> but yeah, that delayed gratification of working really, really hard now. So how, quick question, how long did it take from you starting that business to where you can actually have, like feel, not necessarily comfortable, but you're like, man, this is a great business and I'm doing really well in it. Oh, that's a really good question. I would say it didn't happen until after the third year. I don't, that could even be early for that to happen. I would say somewhere between the third and fourth year is where I started to kind of feel good about what I was doing, where I was, the decisions that I was making and had really kind of solidified myself as an entrepreneur and as a private practice owner. I think the first couple years, I was so focused on doing the best work that I could, continuing to grow my practice, and I guess kind of instilling what it was that I wanted, my values, my mission, and embedding that into my profession and into my job, into my company, that it took a while for me to then be able to relax and say, oh, 
it's there <laughs> and trust it that it's there. And then that's when I was like, actually, I was able to t like hire my first employee. And like, I, I feel like that pivotal moment was somewhere between my third and fourth year. I love that, man. That's, and usually they say, if you make it five years in a business, you're doing so much better than like you, you you've successfully done it. Cause usually most businesses close within one or two years. Um, and you're also thriving. Like you're doing really, really well. Now talk to us about hiring that first employee. Now, Finding the right person, that's a whole, like we could talk all about, you know, finding. Let's not go with that because that's that's so much work to figure out that, find the right <laughs> one. But now you are hiring somebody, making a decision. You know what? I can't do all the work and I want to free up my time. I'm going to start hiring. I'm going to hire somebody. So talk to us about the decision to hire. And then how did you make the business so that you can hire and actually have them do work for you while you help? to build the business and grow the business as opposed to working in the business? I was extremely fortunate in this aspect of my company. I, gosh, when I first started, like before my company, when I first started as an occupational therapist, I had always been a huge proponent of taking students. So taking occupational therapy students, being a mentor, being, we call them fieldwork educators. So they go do their internship and their rotation is at your company basically. And you guide them through this entire process. So very early on in my career, I knew the importance of investing in students. And I loved the energy, the passion that they brought to my practice. And I loved being able to share the experiences of what I had gone through. So that being said, I, gosh, I think it was about two, two to three years somewhere right around there. Oh, gosh, now, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe it wasn't quite that long. Uh, but I think I took my first student, uh, maybe it was a year and a half. <laughs> um, I took my first student with my company and I, I didn't do it for the first portion of me setting up my company because I was not even really knowing what I was doing and just trying to get it off the ground. I took my first student and she was amazing. And we like, we hit it off. Everything was great. She decided to go back and get her doctorate. And after her rotation, I was like, she's special. She, there's something about her that is super special. And I'd never thought about hiring anybody up until that point, but I was like, she's the right person. And so I met with her and I was like, I want to offer you a job. I don't even know how I'm going to manage this right now because I've never done this. And I was completely upfront with her about all of that. And I think because she was with me from very early on in my company, she knew that I was honest, I was transparent, and that it wasn't going to be easy. But like, if I didn't know the answer, I'd figure it out. And so, yeah, like I just, I, I really, I lucked out in hiring her and she's still with me and she's like super supportive of everything that's going on. And that for me was like, oh gosh, like I, I don't, I don't even know. Like it was so cool how it just happened. And being able to learn through that process with her was just, it was, it was so cool. So I think just being open and honest with your employee or potential employee of like, this is me. This is what my company is about. This is what I'm passionate about. This is where I hope to go. Let's do this together. I think that is something to like really, really keep in mind, specifically when you're hiring somebody right in the beginning where you've never had anybody, any employees before that point. 
you wow you're very first that <laughs> you were very fortunate to find somebody that great and how long have they been working with you now three-ish years wow. something like that that's awesome yeah and, you know some people might think well okay sarah she travels the world or she 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 does everything on her own and she just has employees working for him like yes that's the goal is that we have other people we employ other people. We help them to be able to provide for their family. They may not be an entrepreneur. They may just literally, they would rather die than run a business. And they just love doing what they do. They want to work every single day. There are so many people. In fact, 90% of the population, in my opinion, is like that. But there's another 10% that are like us, that are entrepreneurs that say, you know what? We are good at helping other people make money. And so we created a project, a product or a service. And Yes, come work for me. And so absolutely, we provide them with a job to be able to pay their bills. We provide them an outlet to do things that they really enjoy doing. There's so many great things. And like I have property managers, I have contractors, I have realtors, I have inspectors. I have so many people working for me in my real estate business that I just love paying them. And people might say, well, hey, Dustin, you traveled for six weeks in th through Europe and everybody else is doing the work for you. I'm like, yes, I paid them too. They got paid really well and they like doing it. So yeah, I, I, I'm completely, I think it's awesome. Now, what would be the thought of expanding and getting another employee? Is that something that we should, if we're starting a business, be looking into doing and to continue to grow? Or is there like a capacity that you're kind of like, you know, I might be good here. What are your thoughts about that? I think from a business owner standpoint, you have to consider what it is that you want. Because if you look at expanding, you are putting more responsibility, you're putting more financial uh, financial commitments on you. There's a whole lot more things to consider. And so you have to consider what it is that you want. Do you want it to just kind of be this lifestyle business where you can continue doing the things that you're doing? You've kind of already like worked out most of the kinks. Like, of course, there's always going to be new things that pop up, but you have to consider what it is that you really want. And that is something that I continue to kind of grapple with on a daily basis. Like, do I want to consider hiring somebody else? Maybe, maybe not. I'm very happy with the way that things are going. I like, I love my employee. She's amazing. Like we are totally on the same page. Everything is so good there. I run the risk. If I hire somebody, maybe they're not a good fit. I have to make sure that I can have the clientele to maintain their caseloads. Like there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of reward. And so it's really trying to figure out what is going to be the best for you and the lifestyle that you choose. I don't know if that's a specific enough like answer for you, but like that it's just something that you have to con like just continue to evaluate and reevaluate and see how things are working and you can always try and then cut back, but I think you have to know that decision going into it that this is where I want to move into before you can do that. I think that's a great, no, it's, it's absolutely, um, answers the question really, really well, because, uh, we can always think about, let's just grow, grow, grow. But then at the same time, it comes to a point where I do it really want to grow. So I'll give you an example, mm -hmm. um, in real estate, I have 30 plus properties now and I'm, we're blessed to make plenty of money. Um, I have money, more money to buy properties, but I'm not really in the growth phase anymore. Back when I had like three properties and I, I could see, okay, I'm making $250 per property. 
after three properties, what is that like $750 that I'm making? Um, and so I could scale it up. And so every single month, if I buy another property, I'll make more. So my goal at the time was to quit my job, not work a job, not work for somebody else that nine to five, some, uh, working for somebody else that just over broke job. And so I just kept buying properties. Now I'm at the point now where I'm realizing I'm okay. I, I love teaching people how to do it. I really literally do not need to work for the rest of my life. I could just live off the properties that I have, pass them down to my kids because they'll never go away, all that good stuff. And so I think that's a great principle to think of what's your goal and where do you want to go in this? Okay. So I guess one of the more last questions is if we wanted to scale, is it really just hiring more employees or is it like we have to get more, more um, uh, clientele first, or is it a combination of both? How would we scale the business? If we say, you know what, we want to be a big company. How would we then scale it? For me personally, I think building up the clientele is first and foremost, because I always want to be financially responsible for anybody that I hire. And I don't want to bring somebody on and say, hey, I can offer you this much or this this many hours of work if I can't actually do that. And so when I brought on my first employee, I was working crazy, crazy, crazy hours. Like I had started my company and I was already working crazy hours. And then all of a sudden I wanted to hire somebody else on and I'm like, I got to bump that up even more because I need to be able to say, hey, here are your kids. You're going to take this work from me and then also continue. So I think at least in the beginning for smaller companies, and mind you, I'm a two-person company, well, three, if you want to include my husband that helps me with some of the back-end stuff, that the, the financial, the fiscal responsibility that you have really has to be first and foremost, unless you're taking out loans or you're looking at other ways to fund that. And so, yeah, like it's, it is making sure that you have the money coming in, but also you as a business owner have to be paying attention to all these other things about streamlining the employee process, onboarding them, all these other things that like my employee now, she already knows, like we've already gone through this. Now I have to do that with another person. So I might not be able to focus on some of the other things that I typically would focus on. Now I'm focusing on training, mentoring, supporting, getting another person on board. So there's definitely a lot of different things to consider. And I really think building up that for me, specifically in my line of work, building up that clientele for the next hire or the next hires is like first and foremost, probably the most important thing that I need to consider going into before I even hire somebody. Yeah. You and I think a lot alike in that. I, I want to build up enough work or enough money coming in that would justify hiring somebody else. And so that's the thought is a lot of people, some big companies, tech companies, like they'll just go out and start raising capital. Like go to people and say, Hey, give us money. We'll give you a portion of the company when they don't even have any revenue coming in. They have a potential perceived revenue of what they could eventually get to. I don't really have that mentality. I'm like, let me build the business. And as I need to alleviate pressure off of me, See, there's only two two reasons why I would hire somebody. Number one, if they make me money, or number two, they take pressure off of me, or they make my life easier. Those are the only two reasons why I hire somebody. And so, like in Master Passive Income, I've actually been hiring people to write articles because I know articles really help people to find me through Google. And so, 
I've been realizing I suck at writing articles. I, well, I'm not <laughs> saying I suck. I'm I'm just absolutely horrible at writing articles. So what I do is I hire other people that make sure that they do the work and I have an editor, which is really great. But then same thing. I don't want to manage my properties. I don't want to manage tenants. I don't want to do any of that stuff. So I hire people, but I made sure the revenue was there before I did. So Sarah, those great, great insights. Now, do you, I want to jump into the rapid fire round. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Awesome. Awesome. So hopefully we have, as entrepreneurs, successfully unemployed people, hopefully we have a little bit more time to give back. So how are you giving to either make the world a better place or the people around you or your community or anything like that? How are you helping with other people? Obviously, occupational therapy is a lot, a lot of help. Is there anything outside of that? <laughs> oh, yes. I think mentoring. I mentioned it previously. Mentoring is a huge thing for me. And I actually do this in lots of different ways. So to this day, I still am a fieldwork educator. I am still taking occupational therapy students. I'm having them do their internship with me and I am giving them the support, the education, the experience. I'm learning from them, but they're learning from me. I also have helped a lot of other OTs and other professionals, healthcare professionals, start their own private practices. So because I've started my company, and I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned, and now I'm able to share that information with them. I also have my own podcast, again, about occupational therapy, and I have even helped people. Even last night, I was helping somebody go through. They wanted to start a podcast, so I'm mentoring people about how to go about starting a podcast. And my other huge passion, and we've touched on it a couple times, is well, traveling, A, but I also do a lot of international volunteer work. And the mentoring piece plays a role in that as well. I will go and I'll, go, I'll volunteer in different countries. I've been to Ecuador, I've been to Peru, I've been to Cambodia, Honduras, and I am educating the local professionals there. So if there are occupational therapists, which sometimes there are, sometimes there aren't, because it's a growing field. Uh, I'm educating them. I'm working with other healthcare providers, maybe a teacher, doctors, physical therapists. So I'm mentoring them about the importance of OT and what it is that I would be working with this client and, and how I can best help them. And yeah, so it's really kind of across the board. It's this mentoring piece that I love and I will continue to do <laughs> I will continue to do forever because it's just it's such a big passion of mine. And everybody listening, you can absolutely tell that Sarah is a giver. She just loves to give, loves to help people. And so it, it's there's a reason why her and Ray are so much fun to be around because they're just trying to help other people. They're just trying to it's 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 fantastic. Okay, okay say the next question is if you're going to give advice to for anybody other than just getting started, if somebody wants to do what you do, you've given us already tons and tons of advice. If there is like any bit of advice that you can give somebody who said, I want to get started and I'm going to get started, what's the next thing? Like, what's the big advice that you would give them? So the, the big thing that I would say is it's okay to make mistakes. Like I mentioned earlier, I was... I'm such a perfectionist and I really do think that that held me back from a lot of things in the beginning or it made things take longer. And now that I have been running my business for years and I've been working with people and mentoring people about starting their own company, I've realized that 
the mistakes is where the money is made because that is where you learn what didn't work. And that is where you learn to make improvements and figure out the, the, the best way or the next step to take. And so my advice for anybody is it's okay to make mistakes and make them, make them quick, make them fast, like make them happen right in the beginning, learn from it, improve and move on. Don't be afraid to make mistakes because that's where you're going to learn. And that's what's really going to propel your business, propel your company, propel your passion, whatever it is that you're doing forward. I learn so much more from my mistakes and my failures than I do from my wins. My wins. Yep. I mean, I, I really love winning. I, I'm a really big competitive person. I'll give you an example. I coach my kids flag football. And when we win, I, I would go away like, man, that was great. Okay. Try to remember some things. But when we lose, oh my goodness, there are so many things drilled in my brain. Can't do this again. Can't do this. I should do something differently. I could teach them differently. It's yeah. So I love that idea. And so don't be afraid to fail. That's, that's awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, next question. If you're going to go back and give your younger self any advice, business, life, whatever it might be, what would you go back and give your, let's say 20 year old self? It could even be like your 13 year old self, like just anything that is um, a good piece of advice that you would give yourself. Don't underestimate what you can do. I think for me, I never imagined that I could be where I am right now. I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. I never thought I'd have my own business. I never thought that I would be capable of doing anything like this because to be honest with you, Dustin, when I was growing up, I was the shy kid. I was the kid that didn't talk. I was so incredibly shy and I was so incredibly afraid of putting myself out there. So my, yeah, if I could go back and talk to my younger self, it would be don't underestimate yourself because if you have a passion and you are motivated to do something, you can do it. That's brilliant. I love that. And uh, coming from when we first met, I honestly, it's hard to believe that you were shy at the beginning, not necessarily like in a, in a negative way. It's just because you, you like just just talking and everybody listening to the podcast and watching this on YouTube are like, man, Sarah's really personable and she's really out there. She's really fun to be around. And obviously, I really like Ray too. Ray is hilarious. I just die laughing when I'm around Ray. But um, yeah, so that's that's great. And I love that idea. Don't underestimate yourself. That's fantastic. Okay, next question. What is one tool or an app or something that you use in your life? It could be a piece of paper and pen um, that you use in your life that we should look and consider using. Good question. I think I'm going to take this and, and put a little different spin on it because it is something that is used, but it's actually something that I don't think about all that often. But yet it's, it is used for me on probably a daily basis. And that would be Calendly. And I know, I know you use it too. Uh, I use that for my private practice and how they schedule clients and evaluations. But I also use it for scheduling guests for my podcast. And it's one of those things where you set it, it integrates, and it's kind of like a set it and forget it type thing. So yeah, like there's so many things that I know that I use on a daily basis, but that one has been absolutely life-changing. But it's also one that I don't necessarily think about all the time because it just works on the back end. 
I love that. I, I use Calendly all the time. In fact, I really should start paying them because I use it so much. I just have the one link, the one calendar. I really <laughs> yeah. should, you know, get other other calendars and all that sort of stuff set up. But yeah, I love using Calendly. Okay, so what is one book, one nonfiction book that we should read? It could be business or life or anything that we should read. Okay, I'm also going to take a different spin on this one too because keeping it real here, I don't read that much. I want to. I, I want to. It's like every year it's on my New Year's resolution. It's something I want to do. But I drive a lot. And so I know people could say, oh, listen to an audiobook, but hear me out here. My thing is podcasts. I love podcasting. I have my own. I love being on podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. I am an absolute podcast junkie. There are days I listen to eight to 10 podcasts and I just, I just crank through them. So I'm going to switch up the question. Hopefully that's okay. That's absolutely <laughs> <But> fine. <laughs> yeah. My, my resource is podcasting. And if I had to pick one podcast that I feel like has had a huge impact on me, both personally and professionally, it is, it's called Maestro on the Mic with Shantae Cofield. She is a physical therapist. And yes, she talks about physical therapy, which is not occupational therapy. And she also talks about mindset. She talks about imposter syndrome. She talks about entrepreneurship. She talks about overcoming challenges and living the life that you want, pretty much summing up everything that we've talked about today. And I love the message that she spreads. And it's one of those that like, I will tune in every time she releases. And I love, I just, I love the content, the content that she puts out. So that's my podcast book answer. <laughs> Maestro on podcast book. Yeah. Maestro on the mic. I'm definitely going to put that in the show notes. I'm going to have to check it out. That's, I love that. Okay, man, Sarah, you've given us so much great insight, so much great wisdom. It's been fun talking to you. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's your podcast? How can they, how can they find you online? So how can they connect with you? Yeah. So my podcast is called OT for life. So that's the letters OT, the number four, L-Y-F-E. And that's because occupational therapy is the why of life. I know it's cheesy, but uh, <laughs> so <laughs> you can listen to my podcast on any podcast player. Pick your favorite. I'll be there. You can go to my website, which is otforlife.com. You can find me on Instagram. I love hanging out on Instagram. It is ot dot the number four dot L-Y-F-E. I am on Twitter at OT for life. I'm on Facebook at OT for life. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much everywhere. If you, if you search for me, I'm out there. And if you have questions about occupational therapy, or if you are an occupational therapist and you want to reach out to another one, I love OT. It's my passion. I love connecting with people. So feel free, shoot me a message. Let me know your thoughts about the podcast. If you listen. I got one more bonus question for everybody listening that wants to know how to, how to actually get more um, clientele. Has the podcast helped you to get more clientele and how has that happened? That is a really interesting question because I am, my podcast and my private practice, I have decided to keep separate for right now. So I actually don't, I talk about being a private practice owner and I talk about business and entrepreneurship, but I have not been using my podcast as a way to get clientele because my podcast is directed towards 
occupational therapists, occupational therapy assistants, students, people that are interested in the profession, not necessarily parents and kiddos that would be the clientele that I'm working with. So they actually are two separate things. <laughs> and so everybody listening, you could see how much Sarah just loves to give. She's doing the podcast just to give and just to be very, very helpful. So Sarah, I love talking to you. And I love talking to Ray. Hopefully we could see each other at another conference, but thank you so much for giving so much great wisdom and advice on the Successfully Unemployed show. Thank you, Dustin. This was a lot of fun. I love talking about podcasts. I love talking about OT. I love talking about business. So yeah, this was just an all around amazing conversation. So, so oh, thank, thank you so you. much. Thank you very much. Okay. You take care. Today's episode has been brought to you by the Real Estate Wealth Builders Membership. That's the membership that I founded teaching people how to quit their J-O-B by investing in real estate rental properties. Now, Real Estate Wealth Builders is your place to learn how to invest in real estate with five different masterclass courses, group coaching with me, and a private student community where we all work together, all the tools and the discounts, all the resources, and everything that you need to quit your J-O-B by investing in real estate. Now, I do want to show you how to do this completely for free. If you want to learn about investing in real estate for free, I want to get you my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. That's R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. So you can see how you can quit your job, that J-O-B by investing in real estate. I'll show you how to find properties how to use other people's money to buy properties, and how to scale the business to be successfully unemployed just like I did. Now, did you also know that there are video versions of each and every single episode on the Successfully Unemployed show? Well, I did record every single one of these for you. I recorded them for you so you will be able to learn from the experts themselves, see what they're doing, see everything that they are talking about on this show visually, and all their examples, all their slides, all their pictures that they even draw, everything is on there. Go to successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. Or if you just go to YouTube and type in successfully unemployed, more than likely you're going to find me. So successfullyunemployed.co forward slash YouTube. And I would truly appreciate it if you subscribe to Successfully Unemployed on YouTube and wherever you're listening to this podcast, subscribe to this show so that you can always get every bit of new information on how to quit your J-O-B. Also, if you got anything out of the show, share it with just one person. Share it with just one person so that they can see the light that it is so much better to not work a job, be successful, unemployed, and be your own boss. All right, guys, this is it for today's show. I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.